You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. I am so thankful to be here. As many of you know, my wife and I and our youngest son have been away in Scotland for most of the past couple of years where I've been working on my Ph.D., and I discovered that what I was most homesick for was not my house, not, my, not the city, but this place and men that I could pray with. When, I, when we got back and I was able to be back in my men's group again and praying with those guys, I realized how homesick I had been for that. And so it's really a gift to be here at this time, to be invited back to serve here, especially at a at a, a time when we're launching this great initiative for community to draw people in to that experience, that prayer life together. As you know, we're, we're preaching through a, a series of sermons called It's Not Good to Be Alone. And this is, of course, the message that God pronounces right when he creates the Adam, that, that first human being, out of the dust of the ground. And he says, we read it right there in Genesis 2, God says, it is not good that the Adam should be alone. The problem is that this human being, this man, this Adam, has no fellowship. And that's the definition of being alone. Alone doesn't just mean being the only person in the garden or the only person in the room at the time. Alone means being cut off from fellowship, cut off from community. You can be alone even with, your, with other people. You can be alone even with uh, other people in the room with you. And I've felt a lot of that too over the past couple of years. The, the way the university had it set up, they had this beautiful old uh, stone tower. It almost looked like a piece of a castle. A 500-year-old house. And they had converted the rooms in that house to study rooms for the Ph.D. divinity students. So I was there in this converted bedroom with five desks and five people. And we were silent. And there was a fireplace even. It was sealed off. There was never a fire. We had a self-imposed rule to not hold conversations in the room because that might interrupt people who are trying to concentrate. And sometimes people would even come in or out of the room without even saying hi or bye. And we're, we're sitting there staring at our computer screens and our books. But the worst part of all was that we never prayed together. And we're sitting here, all of us Christians, and we never prayed together. We had to find time and space outside, other settings and other rooms to go do that. It was, a, it was a lonely feeling. And then I had another experience in that same room just two months ago. I went back for a visit to turn in my dissertation and I went to the same room to work, and there was one person sitting in that room all alone. And he was really alone. Not only was he sitting there alone, but he was from Ethiopia. And he had the cultural barrier. And so there I am sitting with him, across from each other. There's a lot of silence. But eventually, over a few days, we talked more and more. And then I just wanted to connect with him even more, and I said, you know... My wife and I have visited your city. He's from Addis, Addis Ababa. We've been in your city. Let me show you some pictures. I actually had a family photo album on my computer. I said, come over here, take a look at this. So I show him the picture on my screen and clicking through real fast. I didn't want to waste his time. You know, hey, come watch my slides. You know? Yeah, 
So I'm flipping through the slides really fast, and I go right past a, uh, a picture of my wife and I standing there in Addis overlooking the city. And then I flip right past that, and there's some, some guys, you know, that, that he, I'm sure he doesn't know. I'm standing with these two other guys. So I flip right past it, and he goes, wait, 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 go back, go back, go back. So I go back to the slide, and I'm standing with these two Ethiopian men who had just walked up to me in the middle of the day while I was walking across the seminary uh, college compound towards worship. And they dragged me along to worship. So I'm standing there with these two men in this photo, and he says, I know those men. Talk about being made one from around the world. We had both prayed for the same men, and those men had both prayed for us. God is amazing. He's doing that all the time. He's going to be doing that in many rooms. He's going to be doing that when we gather. We're going to be forming over 200 new small groups to invite people in to that experience of praying together and getting to know each other. That's what makes us people. That's what makes a person a person. That's Adam's problem. That's why it's not good to be alone. Who is Adam going to pray with? I need a brother to pray with. And I need a sister to open my eyes and help me see what's going on. I need a wife also to straighten me out. But to help me understand the challenge and the hope that exists in a relationship. You see, it's those relationships that make us who we are. A relationship is really what makes a person a person. To exist. To exist means to be in relationship. Any other kind of definition of a person is a myth. Now, Descartes, remember Descartes? He thought he had it all figured out. He knew what it meant to exist. And he said, I think, therefore I am. Which reminds me, did you hear when Descartes went into the bar and the bartender asked him, so would you like a beer? And Descartes said, "Mm, I think not. And he vanished. Because we're designed for relationship. That's what makes us exist as a person. You saw in the video, in many rooms, there's a curriculum that goes along with that. And as the video and George said, it's based on the Thursday night discourse, we call it. These are the chapters of John, Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. The study guide that comes along with the curriculum is John, chapters 13 through 16. It records the conversation that Jesus had with his friends on that very night, the night of his betrayal, the night he washed their feet, the night he had his last supper with them on earth, which is why we call it the last supper, which is where the communion table comes from, was that very night, that Thursday night. Jesus is talking with his friends and he's telling them what's going to happen. And it's hard for them to get They're really confused. And he keeps explaining. He keeps telling them what's going to happen and what it means. And after a while, maybe they start to feel like they're starting to get it. And he picks up on that cue and he sees that there's a glimmer of hope there that they're starting to understand. And he says to them, we read it right there, John 16. He says, do you now believe? 
The hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home. And you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. The Father is with me. I am not alone. The Father is with me. What does that mean when Jesus says it? That's a question I want to work with this morning. Let's understand that. Because right after he says that, Jesus looks up to heaven and he prays these words that we have in front of us today. He prays this prayer recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. If you want to follow along with me, it's on page 880 of the Pew Bibles. Now listen to these words because Jesus is praying. He's there with his friends. He's praying in front of his friends. He's praying for his friends. And as we listen to the prayer of Jesus, what we discover is that he's praying also for you and he's praying for me. So listen. But now I am coming to you. And I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy, may complete in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. So that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I ask not only on behalf of these but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, as we hear the word that you prayed Jesus that night, may we also enter in with you to this place that draws us into the very heart of God. May you fulfill it in our hearing. May you release us into the world to bear it, bring it, and rejoice in it. In Christ's name, amen. This prayer takes us into the very heart of God, and what do we see there? Relationship. Relationship. St. Augustine of Hippo, the African bishop from the 4th century got it right. He says, true whole prayer is nothing but love. So I want to read that last bit of Jesus' prayer one more time. And I want to ask you to do this with me. Think of someone you love very much. 
As we hear the last bit of Jesus' prayer, think of that person. And every time Jesus prays for them, they and them, put that person's name in the prayer. And do that in your mind as you hear it. Let's, Let's do that. Pray with me. Jesus looked up to heaven and prayed. I in them. And you in me. That they may become completely one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them. Even as you have loved me. Friends, when we put our loved one in this prayer, we begin to get it. If you were to pray that short prayer for someone you love every day, you will see God happening in your lives and you will be in a relationship. You will be in communion. You will be drawn into the heart of God's prayer. And likewise, when you have someone in your life that you find it hard to know how to pray for because of their hurts, you can do the same thing. You can say this prayer for them that Jesus prayed. But it's hard a lot because the world crowds in and if you're like me, you're easily distracted. And I can find all kinds of ways of distracting myself from the presence of God. That's why I was so curious when I saw a news report. It just came out last week from the Kaiser Family Foundation. They just published their latest survey of American children ages 8 to 18 and their use of electronics and electronic media. And what they discovered is that the average American child is spending seven and a half hours a day on smartphones, iPods, Internet, video screens, TVs, MP3 players, texting, whatever, video games, seven and a half hours a day. And that doesn't count the amount of time they spend in this so-called multitasking, where you've got two things going on at once. I've even seen people do three at once. By the way, I think multitasking is a myth also. I think it's just a distraction from the distraction. But if you count multitasking, like if there's a video running at the same time that you're texting a friend or talking on the phone, then the average goes up to 11 hours. That's the average, 11 hours per day. And I know it's not just the kids, is it? No, I mean, I use those media too. It's easy for adults to fall into the same habits. But I got to wonder, what effect is this having on us? What, what is this doing for our relationships? Because communicating is not the same thing as being in a relationship. Now, I know that those tools can also be very valuable because they can draw people together. We can be talking with a loved one. As a father, I, I'm thrilled at when I get a text from my daughter. Are you listening, daughter? And I do love that. But, but I, I got to think that a lot of that time is not spent in relational moments. Something else is going on. Communication is not the same thing as being in a relationship. And this prayer of Jesus shows us why that is. It's because he's not just communicating. He's being in relationship with God. He's being one with God. The Father and Jesus are Indwelling, we could say. They're indwelling with one another. It's like there's a divine dance going on. God is not a creator who has stepped aside. 
from the dance. He's not a creator who has stepped aside from his creation and left the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve all alone to fend for themselves. No. He draws us into relationship, into his very heart. And Jesus mediates that relationship. Jesus is the mediator of God's love. That's a powerful kind of love. It feels really good to be included in that prayer. And if anybody's prayer is going to be heard, my money's on Jesus. So what do we see in that prayer? We have the Father. We have the Son. We have the love that's flowing back and forth in between them. That love is also personal, so we give that a name. We call that the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Ghost is simply the old English word for spirit. Literally, it means spirit. So we got Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And that's why we think of God as a trinity of three. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And there's another thing that's hard to wrap your mind around. How do you make sense out of that? Well, let me turn to St. Augustine again. Because he says, in nothing is the study of more demanding, nor is the fruit more enriching than in the study of the Trinity. So we're going to press on to grow our understanding of this Trinitarian God. And St. Augustine would be amused, most of all, probably to discover that just last year, the, Europe, the nations of Europe banded together to fund a scientific study called Explaining Religion. It's funded by the European Union, 2 million euros, which is over $3 million. It's a consortium of 14 British and European universities headquartered at the Department of Anthropology at Oxford University. They're using neuroscience, biology, chemistry, physics, evolutionary psychology, all the latest science to understand the mental, physical, chemical, and psychological reasons why people believe stuff. And I got to trust there is a lot, there really is a lot of good science going on there. There are biochemical effects going on in our minds and in our bodies that has an effect on how we think and behave. No question. It's good to understand that. But they're not going to explain the Trinity. They're not going to explain Jesus' prayer. They're not going to explain community. They're not going to explain what makes me a person that way. Let me show you why it's so difficult. Let's do a thought experiment. What I want you to do is imagine a color that you've never seen before. Okay, got it? (laughs) All right. Now, if I were to ask you, tell me what color it is. What color is it? You, you can't, can you? Well, you can try. The, the best way to try is that you're going to end up comparing it to a color you have seen or something you have experienced, right? But wait, that's not good enough. Because unless it's a color or something I have experienced, I'm not going to get it. The only way to communicate knowledge is to have a meaning in between us. It's got to be mediated. There has to be something in the middle. There has to be something real in the middle, actually. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the real mediation of God's love and presence. Alive. In us, between us, making us one. Jesus is the mediation of God's love. Not only that, he's the mediation of everything. 
Because we read also in John chapter 1 that all things were created by him and through him. Without him was not one thing created. All knowledge is relational. I just saw a movie clip about new creation also. New worlds and new creation. And I loved it. I have not seen the movie yet. So don't spoil it for me. If you've seen it. But I already know I'm going to love it. Because the movie clip starts off at the beginning of the movie with this saying, you're not in Kansas anymore. Well, I'm from Kansas and I already knew that. I knew that this morning when I looked out the window and saw snow capped mountains. There ain't no snow capped volcanoes in Kansas. And it's something else that Kansans know something about community because it's hard to eke out a living on that land and that builds community. In fact, I'm only really barely two generations removed from the center of the Dust Bowl. Not just in time, in years, but geographically, I was born in Dodge City, Kansas. The same place my grandparents were on the farm. But I know I'm going to love this movie, even though I also know that I'm sure it's full of uh, warped and distorted ideas about spirituality and religion and psychology and business and politics. I mean, you kind of know that before you even set foot in the theater, don't you? By the title, Avatar. Because Avatar is the Sanskrit word for the Hindu mythological apparitions of shape-shifting gods. That's what Avatar is. That's the word. That is not the Incarnation. Jesus is not an avatar. He is a real person. But anyway, I know I'm going to love this movie because of one thing at least in there. What I discovered is that the people who live on this exotic land greet each other, not by saying hi or bye, but by saying, I see you. And wouldn't it be cool if we greeted each other by saying, I see you? Because when we said it, what we really meant was, I see Christ in you. I see you the way Jesus sees you. As his brothers and sisters and as beloved children of God. I see you. How cool would that be? But that's hard for us to do too. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that because there's a difference between divine love and human love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the book Life Together, which is also accompanying our study of our community life. Life Together, he says, human love is by its very nature desire, desire for human community. Spiritual love, however, comes from Jesus Christ. It serves him alone. It knows that it has no immediate access to other persons. Jesus Christ stands between the lover and the others he loves. There it is. Jesus mediates the Father's love. You take Jesus out of the equation and you're left alone again because you're left in your own private world of understanding what's going on around you. It's like, welcome to my world. And people become objects in my world, which doesn't build my relationship with them. It, it actually isolates myself. And we're left cut off from the relationships that bring us joy. 
That's why I want to leave you with an image of the Trinity that puts skin on it. It's a painting by Rembrandt. And I encourage you to take a look. We hung it in the lobby out there in that space right outside these doors. You might want to stop on your way out and take a closer look at it, this painting by Rembrandt. It's a painting of the story of the prodigal son who returns to the father. You can read it in Luke chapter 15. And the son returns for the father's embrace. And I like to call it the parable of the prodigal love of the father. I believe there's a trinity depicted there. Let me tell you why I love this painting so much. First of all, these are real people. They have a history together. There's something happening in this painting. You can feel it. And they're real people. You you see the wrinkled hands of the father on the son's back. You see the shaved head of the son, humiliated and kneeling at the father's feet. You see the intent gaze of the elder brother looking down on both of them. And then you notice something else. We're in the painting. There's a community in the painting. In fact, the painter Rembrandt has actually put himself into the painting. That's how we enter into God's reality. We're actually part of it. And then, if you look really closely, you discover the Trinity is there. It's very hard to see. The light is shining on the Father and Son. They're radiant. But the Holy Spirit is there. At least I believe so. That's my interpretation of the painting. If you look very carefully at the upper left-hand corner of that painting, it's hard. he's hard to see. But if you have eyes to see, he's there. Holy Spirit. That's why that's my favorite painting of the Trinity. There is, however, one even better place to see it, and that's in our lives, in real life. It's, it's in the group I pray with. It's in this room right now. It's in the people that we include in our daily prayers, in real life. We see God working. Scottish professor James Houston calls this homesickness for God, that kind of prayer life. It's a homesickness for God. But it's a homesickness that satisfies as it transforms. Participation in the triune God of grace creates the hunger that satisfies. And how do you know you're in community? You're in community when you know people who know you well enough to know how to pray for you. That's the gift of being in love with God. It's a gift we don't even know how to ask for it. Because it's so far beyond anything we could ask or even imagine. But Jesus does, and he has. Not only that, it's a gift so big that we can't even receive it on our own. But Jesus has for us. He has also prayed us to share his glory, his radiance, and his holiness. And that's right, holiness. That is what the word sanctification means, to be made holy. This is the prayer of Jesus for us. Experience it. Live it. Pray it. Become it. God will be doing something. Every time we gather in his name, in many rooms, in many places, God is happening. God has a love so much more amazing than 
anything we have ever seen. And we will be seeing Christ in a way that we can say, I see you. And we ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We thank you for this prayer, Jesus, that you prayed for us, for our brothers and sisters, for people that we don't know yet. And we ask you to be at work in that prayer, drawing us into the very heart of God so that the heart of God may be released into the world. In Christ's name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.